Why has there been a sudden surge of attacks on Christianity by atheists? And what is the best way to respond to these attacks? Stay tuned for an interview with a person who specializes in defending the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have as my special guest again this week a gentleman by the name of Eric Barger. Eric is a specialist in Christian apologetics, a rather strange technical phrase for defending the faith. Eric's ministry is called Take a Stand, and I like that name. Welcome back to our program, Eric. Thank you, David. Glad to be here again. And Nathan, we are delighted to have you. This is Nathan Jones, my colleague here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, and uh, he is also our web minister and an evangelist, and uh, he uh, uh, has a tremendous ministry also in apologetics, defending the faith uh, uh, to people all over the world who write into our website. Nathan, how about you kicking off this interview with uh, Eric? All right, Eric, we're talking about atheists, people who claim to not believe there's a God. What would you say is their strongest, most frequent attack? Well, for a long time, they really didn't have uh, something to hide behind, if you will, something to buttress what they believed. But now they've got the theory, underscore theory, of evolution. And so uh, why would I want to believe in a God if I believe we were just evolved and I can kind of be my own moral agent, do my own thing? And that's, I think, the, the central key thing that we hear from atheists, agnostics, rationalists, and so on. So their greatest attack then would be against the creation story in the Bible? Exactly. Okay. Well, that's interesting, the, uh, attacking the creation story. You know, I have a friend who says uh, uh, that it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe what the Bible said. I mean, evolution teaches that everything came from nothing. Yeah. Nothing that, plus nothing plus And that we time. came from scum, uh, scum on a pond and, and, and it just evolved uh, miraculously. I, I think it takes way more faith to believe that than to believe that <laughs> a, an intelligent God, an intelligent creator or uh, creation being created us. You know, I think it, it's way, way beyond my understanding. You know, you know you would think that um, with the discovery particularly of DNA that this would rock the mm-hmm. very foundation of atheism because here you're, you're seeing highly complicated uh, programming uh, that could only come from an intelligent being and yet it seems like no matter what evidence you produce it just they look the other way. It's kind of like Ray Comfort's book. You can lead an atheist to evidence, but you can't make him think. The Bible tells us about folks like this. Romans one twenty. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. And it goes on to say that they made their foolish hearts darkened and that they became fools. Are atheists fools? <laughs> well, they, they want to believe what they want to believe because if they would believe there is a God, that means they're accountable to someone. And if they believe what the Bible says, that means that they're sinners and they need a Savior. And a a lot of people just don't want to believe that. That would mess up their party, so to speak. Uh, When the word fool is used in Psalms, uh, it says that uh, a fool says in his heart there is no God. That's the word for they are moral fools. They they have uh, a brain, intelligence. That's not the issue. They become moral fools. They decide to be their own moral guide. And man's always in trouble at that point. I I don't challenge the intelligence of of atheists, uh, atheists who are extremely intelligent. Uh, but they are spiritually blinded. Right. Uh, whereas their attitude toward us is just the opposite. Uh, anyone who would believe in God 
is simply a, a, a Neanderthal, a person who has a, just can't think. In fact, Richard Dawkins recently said that he doesn't want to be called an atheist anymore. That's amazing. He said, we got together and we discussed this and we decided we wanted a, a friendly term like gay for homosexuals. Well, we want something friendly. And so we've decided from now on we want the whole world to refer to us as the brights, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I guess means you and I are the dim. Yes. That's, yeah. uh, that's the inference, isn't it? But think it? of the implication of yeah. saying that. Everybody yeah. else is just kind of stupid. Yeah. If you believe there's a God, if you believe that, that we didn't evolve, then you're a problem, even though this is only a theory. Yes. And like Waller Martin said, a theory is a magnificent idea ganged up on by a brutal bunch of facts. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah. Well, it, it's, just, it's just amazing to me how... How no matter what evidence you present, it, it just is not going to be accepted. I, I, we have a, a member of our board of trustees by the name of Dr. James Hug, who uh, was one of the youngest uh, Ph.D. graduates in the history of Stanford University. A uh, brilliant man. And uh, yet when in his Ph.D. oral examinations at Stanford, they discovered he had become a believer while he was at Stanford. And they, and they refused to give him his doctorate. They said, you're an embarrassment to us that you could come through the science department and end up a believer. How did you do that? He said, well, I, I did it from the study of geology. He said, I looked at the geological record, and the only thing that made any sense was the Noahic flood. And then I started looking at creation, and the only thing that makes any sense from the evidence is a creator God. And uh, they were just flabbergasted. (laughs) Can I just say, if the folks have not read what Dr. Hug wrote in the Lamplighter magazine in January of 2012, they need to read that. I happened to, I I quoted his article in a debate I had last Sunday night. Well, basically, it was a very nice debate. It wasn't caustic with a a couple of people who didn't believe in the creation story as told in the Bible. And uh, he gives great evidence. Yeah, he really does. In that article, he gives a lot of evidence about the uh, uh, fact that the earth is a young earth and that that's the best explanation of what you can see uh, of the evidence that you see. Right. Uh, yeah, Nathan, did you have something you wanted to ask him about? Well, they attacked the creation, but how did they undermine the creation? Well, they undermine it by saying, well, science says this, science says this. They keep, they keep bringing out science. Of course, they're backing not, each other up. Not all science says it's no. a thing. You know, only the science that, that agrees with them, that agrees there was no God, that, that we must have evolved, and that we're now, although the figure is floating around, now we're 4.54 billion years old. Uh, that figure huh? yeah, yeah. figures change several times, <laughs> though, along the way is a problem. And, and uh, they try to back it up with science. And again, this is all a theory that has helped man. It's just like the theories against the, uh, the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of theories that only help man to deny there's a God. It's not because they're true. So the atheists pretty much have set themselves up as the, as the priesthood of their own religion. Well, yeah, and I'm not sure what I'd call them religious, but if, you, if a man becomes his own God, whether he says he's religious or not, he has assumed the position of God. Well, they have to have faith without absence of any real facts. So it, to me, it sounds like atheism is a religion. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I wouldn't argue with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I are in the process of interviewing Eric Barger of Take a Stand Ministries. Eric is a specialist in the field of apologetics, which refers to the defense of the faith. Nathan, why don't you kick it off with the first question here? Okay, Eric, it seems like the atheists are coming out kicking and screaming, surging, attacking Christianity all the time. Why the sudden uptick in attacks? Well, enough money will promote the books and then the TV interviews. And then suddenly the atheists are emboldened because they are, are being fed by particular speakers out there. Dawkins is one and there are others. But uh, there's 
I, I think that's part of it. And I can't help but when I talk about something like this, but bring up the idea that if indeed we're in the end of the end times, that this kind of stuff is going to be promoted. This is part of the things, or part of the, the uh, activity that will be taking place in the world that will be dragging people away from God. And, and we see... And I think that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's part of the end times deception. That's it is. Going it's yeah. like the Christian message is there, but Satan is heaping on all these messages, screaming and yelling for other people's attention to drown out our Christian message. And the atheists are louder than ever. Yeah, yeah. We see the cults, the rise of the cults, the rise of the occult, and we certainly we see the rise of, of atheism. I think atheists are getting louder. However, uh, if you examine people who have gone to New Age philosophy, many of them claim to have once been atheists, but uh-huh. just added a spiritual dimension to their thinking. So, uh, but regardless, Regardless, they didn't come to Christ. They still are, some, are dark in their hearts. I find it somewhat ironic that people who absolutely deny that God exists spend so much of their yes. time railing against God. Yes. Well, they would say, look at these guys spending all this time and effort and money on TV and so on to prove there is a God. See, so they go the other direction, but, but they, uh, they've got to disprove there's a God so they can continue to feel good about the way they live. Well, that point you keep coming back to, and that is a very important point. The bottom line, I am convinced, in most of these people is they do not want to admit there is a God because if they do, then they are responsible to someone. And if you look at the history of the great humanistic uh, thinkers of the 20th and century and, and 19th century, they lived like alley cats. They were just the most immoral people you can possibly imagine uh, because they don't feel they're responsible to anyone. They live yeah. the way they want to. Yeah. The most refreshing email I ever got was from an atheist because they write in trying to debate us all the time. They have all these facts and you know disputes. But he was railing and swearing. And finally he stopped in a moment of clarity. He says, okay, I believe there's a God. I, I don't like the idea, though, that he's either heaven with him forever or hell. Why can't there be a third option? Why can't God just leave me the alone and give me a third option? And then he went back into his wild craze again. I really think, at least for the atheists I talk to, they really do believe there's a God, but they don't, they don't want heaven or hell. They want God to leave them alone. And sadly, that's what hell is, right? I, I don't think we have to check our brains at the door. I, I tell Christians yeah. we've got to have our eyes open. We've got to be reading the Bible. And we have to understand what the attacks are around us. But I think a lot of it is that people just, they, they want their intelligence, their ideas to rule. And uh, every once in a while I, I hear the same thing. They want to be their own God. Exactly. They want to be their mm-hmm. own God. But they, they, uh, every once in a while I hear one of them say, you know, there might be a God, but how could I love him? And, you know, he couldn't be the loving, kind God that you say okay, he is. Okay, now let's go that's to that question. question. That's the, yeah. To me, that's the number one attack that I hear all the time. How can a God of love tolerate so much suffering and evil in the world? If he really exists, then why does he tolerate? The fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden is exactly why we have the evil we have. Every problem we've got, every disease, war, evil of all kinds, all emanates from the fall of mankind in the Garden. God is bringing rectification to it. It's not happened yet, but we're living in that period where man has uh, he's his own free will, he's his own moral agent, he gets to do his own thing, but yet there is still a God who is an ultimate charge of all things. God has always created creatures with free will, both angels and us right. with free will, because He doesn't want to be worshipped by robots. He wants to have an, an, a relationship with people, and then men have used that free will to rebel against God. Right. 
Why blame that on God? Well, that's uh, people want to blame that on God or say there is no God in the process by saying that how could a God that's loving allow all this evil to take place? How could He allow uh, little children to suffer the way He does and all those are, uh, the way they say He does? You know, yeah, those that, kind of. Things. But He came in the flesh to die for our sins. That's it. He's given every one of us a way out. <laughs> every one of us have a way out through the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to pay the price for me and you and everyone else, the people who are watching, so they would never perish but have eternal life. Richard Dawkins. Dawkins, who's one of the leading uh, evolutionists and atheists in the world, spokesman in the world today, loves to uh, attack the Bible on the basis that it reveals a God who is vengeful and wrathful and arbitrary. And he says, you know, the Old Testament ought to be X-rated and so forth. How do you respond to that? Well, go back to church history. Marcion, one of the original Gnostic cultists in the church, said that the God of the Old Testament couldn't be the God of the New Testament. Same thing, same idea. Uh, Here's what's happened. God has revealed to man his sinful nature, his sinful condition by what is set up in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and says, here's the way. Yeah. Here's the way out. I'm going to pay the price for you. But if you study both Testaments carefully, you will see that the God of the Old Testament is a God of grace, love, and mercy, just as the God of the New Testament is great. He didn't change his personality or no. his character. No, not at all. No, well, not, people not picture Jesus as that. You know, he's, He came as a lamb, so surely he, he gave up a lot of his power and strengths, and he came peacefully. But Jesus whipped the money changers out of the temple. When Jesus returns, right. he's going to just slaughter all the enemies of the, uh, the armies of the Antichrist. He's going to judge people and send them to hell if they continue in disobedience to Him. This is Jesus we're talking about. So, He's not some well, cosmic we look at teddy bear. You know, God he's is God. a God of love, grace, and mercy, but He's also a God of justice, justice. righteousness, and holiness. Yes. And, and uh, this idea of Jesus as some, uh, you know, willy-nilly type of person is just not accurate. L- listen to this, Revelation 2, Jesus speaking to the church at Thyatira. Behold, I will, if you don't repent, he says, I will cast her, this evil woman Jezebel in the church, right. upon a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. That doesn't sound like a patsy to me. Right mm-hmm. along with this, David, we have a lot of people in the church or that claims to be the church who want only a God of love and he could never be a God of justice. And so we have the, the same problem from the opposite angle than the atheists have against us but, saying but God's only God, God of, of justice. love ignore a pedophile who is, you know, uh, hurting children? How can he ignore a cold-blooded murderer? He's not a God of love if he ignores that. No. And his if he's a God of righteousness, he has to deal with it. Otherwise, he's not, he's not those things. And, and he is going to deal with it. No. He is dealing with it on a daily basis, you know, and that's the thing. And we have to understand that we're still living behind enemy lines. Oh, yes. Oh, you yes. know, I mean, that's really part of it. You, when you, you have to look at the whole picture of where we are in time and that in the church age, uh, we're living behind enemy lines. We, we have an enemy that is still prowling around like a roaring uh, lion. You know. what, what do you consider to be? the most powerful argument in behalf of the existence of God. I think creation would be the first one. And I think the second one is the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Because no one could have orchestrated those things. Once again, I cite the current Lamplighter magazine and say, you know, the uh, the, uh, March edition of this year. And, And you think about that. You think about the, the, the prophecies that Jesus right. fulfilled. To me, that says it all. And Jesus, what did He do? He continually, over and over, pointed to His Father in Heaven. Uh, well, you know, I can say amen, amen, amen to that. But I want to go back to your very first point about creation. I mean, the Bible says that all of creation points 
to a creator. And, and it does. I mean, I have a watch here. I don't believe that that watch came into being by a wind blowing through a junkyard. There had to be somebody who conceived that watch, drew a design for that watch, put that watch together. When you look at this creation, there has to be a creator. Yeah. I mean, Darwin said that the single cell organisms were very simple. My son has just recently did a project on plant cells. He says, Dad, there's thousands and thousands of little organic machines inside it, and they all have to work together. Well, and that's Darwin just lived before you cell. had the microscope, and the, he, he, could, he, couldn't, he didn't know those things. I mean, a kid can look at a cell and, and obviously yeah. see something that Darwin couldn't see. Tragically, though, that the atheists of today still look at him as their leader. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, these people who have so much, yeah. so much that they can understand with science that he couldn't in those days, and yet still they depend on his theory, and it is a theory. That's all it is. We have the empirical proof that there is a God who had uh, interaction with men and who sent His Son, and we have to make the decision: we're going to follow Amen. Him or reject Him. Well, folks, let's pause here for a moment. We want to inform you about how you can get a valuable tool that will assist you in defending the faith. If you enjoyed today's program with Eric Barger, you will love the DVD called Defending the Faith. Four of our half-hour programs with Eric Barger are included in this information-packed DVD. Few people can keep up with all the information and misinformation concerning cults and false religions. So now you can get authoritative, biblically solid teaching on these constantly changing topics. Eric has immersed himself in the study of the cults, and you can benefit from his 25 years of research. Topics covered are the New Age Movement, Universalism, the Emergent Church Movement, Popular Books with Heretical Teachings, Apostasy in the Church, The Problem with Doctrinal Ignorance Among Christians, and How to Defend One's Faith. Offer D53 is available for a gift of $12 or more, plus the cost of shipping and handling, and can be ordered by visiting lamblion.com or calling the number on your screen. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. Our guest is Eric Barger, a specialist in the field of Christian apologetics. And my colleague, Nathan Jones, is here to help me interview Eric. Nathan, lead off with the question. All right, Eric, we've been talking about atheist attacks on God. Let's shift over to atheist attacks on the Bible. I mean, they believe the Bible is made up, it's full of fairy tales, and it's man's search for God. How do you respond to them? Is the best kept, longest kept record in the history of mankind. The Old Testament kept by the Jews was kept to the place if you changed one jot or tittle, those are King James words, but one apostrophe or one comma, it was off with your head if you were a scribe. Uh, it isn't just one book. It is 66 different books yes. written by about 40 different individuals over about a 1,500-year period in time. And the thing is, after reading all of the other religious writings in the world, and you, you start with the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran and the writings of, of Buddha and so on, the writings that Buddhism is based on and Hinduism, what you see in the Bible is a book that so perfectly harmonizes together that God has His supernatural stamp or handprint upon the pages. And to me, this is... Uh, one of the greatest refutations of atheism or uh, evolution, so on, because the Bible so clearly harmonizes together. It stands, it stands alone, and it isn't just one book. And that's the thing, I think, as we discuss with our friends and our family, uh, folks who are watching, they should always remember the Bible is a compilation of teachings put together in one binding for today, but they are different authors that uh -huh. verify there is a God. 
What is that unifying theme of the Bible that combines it all together? Well, I think Bible prophecy, once again, we come back to that, the fulfilled prophecies in the Scripture and how God has impressed upon particular people to, to write down parts of the puzzle that He has put together for us to understand. Well, that's a proof for it, but what, I, I was curious, what is the theme, the overall Bible, what is the theme that combines all 66 books together? There is a God who loves us and who, who yes. wants to have fellowship with us, who created us for fellowship. Amen, brother. Yeah. Well, it, uh, another thing that came to mind while you were talking about that is the impact of the Bible on lives. Uh, you take a guy like Jack Collinsworth, who's the featured singer on our program, who lived on the streets homeless for 20 years, a, a deranged alcoholic, and suddenly he meets Jesus Christ. His life is totally changed. And, and the, the fellow who wrote Amazing Grace, you know, who was a, a, a captain of a slave ship, and yet his life totally changed, and all through history, totally changed lives as a result of people reading the Word of God and coming into contact with Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, some of the people viewing have seen my testimony right here on your program. <laughs> I was going to say, you're yeah, good. You know, I mean, I know Tell where them. I was. I, I was raised in a, in, a, in a churched home and never lived for God and got into drugs and alcohol and the New Age movement and was totally lost and uh, came in contact with Jesus Christ and found total, complete deliverance and he called me to ministry pretty quickly. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a long story, but I'm one of those guys too. I, I know. I know, and I praise God for the transformation. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, atheists are always saying the Bible is full of contradictions. Just contradictions everywhere. How, how do you deal with that? Well, you hear this all the time. You, you start looking at what they say. They'll say that it's really not the Word of God, you know, that it has the words of demons and angels and Lucifer. And yes, oh, God speaks in it 3,100 times. <laughs> but... It, it is what God wanted us to know about Himself and about the universe and how to interact with other men. And it's what we'll be accountable to. So when it's called the Word of God, it is His Word to us. It isn't necessarily Him dictating to a secretary what He wanted us to know. They, they say that the book of Daniel is out of place. That's a common one, you know, that people will say Daniel was written in about 150 uh, B.C. And you go back and you can clearly see that this wasn't the case. And we could give the long dissertation as to why. Yeah. I do that in one of my messages. They say the genealogies are off base. There's all kinds of attacks against the Bible. They try to pick it apart and pull the threads apart. Exactly. But none of them are about the substance of who God is and what He's trying to convey in His Word to mankind. Another thing that came to mind while you were talking there is the fact that not only do, is, does, is the Bible validated as the Word of God by fulfilled prophecy. No other book in the world has fulfilled prophecies. I mean, prophecy is already fulfilled, hundreds of them, uh, right. about cities and towns and individuals. And I'm not just talking about Messianic prophecies. Right. But another thing that came to mind is that the field of archaeology. Yes. Archaeology is dominated by unbelievers. I mean, 98% of archaeologists in the world are people who are not believers. <laughs> They're determined to prove the Bible wrong. And every time they turn over a spade of dirt, they find new evidence in the Bible. <laughs> they got to be some of the most frustrated guys on planet Earth. Got to be. You know, unlike the Book of Mormon, for example, the Book of Mormon talks about cities all across in North America and in South America and all this sort of thing. You can't find any evidence of any of that, no archaeological evidence whatsoever. But you go to Israel, and everywhere you walk, you find the archaeological right. evidence of what the Bible speaks about. Right. Yeah. We, Mormons weren't helped any by the, no. the uh, coming of DNA either, because oh, no. that no. proves that the American Indians, North, Central, and South American Indians, were not the, uh, the children of Israel. Yeah, so. which they claimed were Jews that came exactly. to Israel. Yes. Exactly. We had a great example this week of archaeology proving the Bible. Someone wrote in, they read uh, Luke 2, 1 through 2 in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of 
of Syria. Well, they said, well, Quirinius was governor of Syria in 6 AD. Jesus was born in 4 BC. How do you explain that? How do you? Well, archaeology proved there was this, uh, the lapis tubertinus. I apologize if I don't pray. It's a <laughs> fragment that was discovered that found out that Quirinius was governor twice. He had, there'd been someone between him and his first and second. Oh. So he was there together. So archaeology proves those little areas in the Bible were like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, a good example, mm. too, is uh, for, uh, for years, archaeologists have said that uh, David and Solomon never existed, that they were just simply like uh, uh, King Arthur of Camelot. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a, a you know a folk story uh, among the Jews, and then they find this posture uh, that uh, speaks about a certain king of Israel being of the house of David. Well, yeah. and then they say, oh well, you know that's uh, that doesn't really mean David lived. That just <laughs> and, and and so there's always an explanation, even though the hard evidence is there. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gets me is they'll find a little papyrus in Egypt, just a little piece of papyrus, and it'll have something written on. They'll take that as absolute fact. Here we have the Bible preserved by the Jewish people as no other literature has ever been preserved. And they say, oh, well, that's all. That's just all myth, legend, superstition. Well, I love talking about this stuff. I mean, the city of Hazor, yeah. which is, uh, was a, the, called the king of the pagan settlements. You know, it was the main, it was a very important spot in Israel as far as topography yeah. goes. And uh, uh, two of the prophets prophesied against it. Jeremiah said, no one will ever live here again. And no one has ever lived there <laughs> since then. And it would have more, it says, uh, snakes and vipers in the Bible than anywhere else, and it does. Well, for years, one of the major attacks on the Bible was it mentions Hittites, and they said there was never anything such people ever existed. And then they found the whole civilization oh, yeah, of the Hittites. Yeah, or yeah. they said uh, 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 as late as 1800, they were writing books saying the New Testament's full of myth, legend, and superstition because it says Jesus spent his life, uh, a, three and a half years of his ministry in three towns, Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, and said they never existed. And then in the middle of the 19th century, suddenly the archaeologists found all three towns. Oh, it's, they, uh, the, archae- the uh, atheists were counting on the idea that King Solomon wasn't as smart and wasn't as influential as the Bible says he was. And he couldn't have had a thousand horses and, and chariots stabled in one place. <laughs> and then in 1945, they found the archaeology of this. They found the stables. Oh, yeah. they, they found the place. Yeah, took well, pictures of those stables. And by the way, that stopped the atheists. That was an argument they took off the table. Suddenly they couldn't use it anymore. But it was a main argument before 1945 against the Bible. Eric, one question I get all the time. And this is real sad. A mother wrote in her daughter who had grown up in the church and the faith, went off to college. She met this guy who's an atheist. All he had to say to the daughter was Constantine picked what books out of the Bible he wanted, got rid of the rest. Now she's a meth head. She's, she's lost her faith. How do you deal with people whose faith is so fragile that all they have to do is say Constantine got rid of all the books that didn't match and then people's faith crumbles. Is that true? Did Constantine get in there and play no, with what books no, he wanted? No, Constantine had nothing to do with the formulation of the Bible. It was done well before his birth. Right. You Which know, was, not, what, 300 or so yes. when he ruled? Yeah, you go back AD. to 140, and at, at 140 to 170 A.D. Was, was when the church was deciding they needed a, a standardized set of teachings that the church could use in all quarters that they would refer to the written set of teachings. Until that time, even though the letters of the apostles were circulating, there wasn't a standardized set of teachings before the Muratorian canon came out. And that uh, took 30 years for them to put it together. They didn't go to the coffee shop one day and say, well, boys, I think we got it. They took 30 years to make sure that they, they had those teachings. And it included all but three of the books we have in the New Testament today. But Nathan, our- when most churches today seem to have youth programs aimed at weenie roasts and hay rides and fun things, going to the uh, skating rink or whatever... 
and never spending any time on Bible study. What more can we expect when our kids go off and are suddenly challenged? They don't know how to defend it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I mean, this is one of the biggest problems is that our kids are being force fed evolution and agnosticism and well as the sinful lifestyles of others around them. Every day we, you know, we hear these stories and yet our youth pastors, uh, they're too afraid of the kids not wanting to come back. So we got to have something fun for them. Where is the study? We can't expect a half hour Bible lesson on Sunday morning to be an antidote to 40 hours of school oh, that the kids that are getting right. in our secular uh-huh. schools today with the curriculum like it is. Amen and amen. Well, folks, unfortunately, our time is up. Would you be willing, Eric, to come back next week and bless us a third time by talking about the most frequently asked questions about uh, Christianity in the Bible, not only by unbelievers, but by Christians as well. I love doing a question and answer period in my <laughs> seminars, and I'd, I'd love to be here with you to do it here, too. Okay, well, that's our program for this week, folks. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us again next week when Eric Barger will be back to respond to questions that people most frequently ask about the Bible and Christianity. Till then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 